Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, local historian and archaeologist Dr. Simon Draper looks at place names containing the Old English term Burr and examines its meaning and significance to Wessex communities from the 7th century onwards. When I was doing my PhD on Anglo-Saxon Wiltshire, I quickly became interested in place names and their relationship uh, with the archaeology, uh, the landscape archaeology of the period. And one class of place names that attracted my attention quickly were those um, ending in bury, B-U-R-Y, which come from an old English word burr, B-U-R-H. Um, bury is actually, if, for those of you particularly interested, it's actually the dative singular old English form of burr. That's where bury comes from. Um, but it comes from an old English word meaning to, to, to protect um, and it's often been interpreted as, as a fort. If you look it up in a, in a, place, in a place name dictionary, um, Old English burr will be translated as fort. Um, but I noticed that some, some significant places around Wessex um, end in Bury. So Shaftesbury, Glastonbury, for example. But in Wiltshire, there are eight or nine, nine major places, significant places, that each end in Bury. And you will see that most of them um, come from Anglo-Saxon personal names. So Alderbury is Athelweru's Burr, Amesbury, Amber's Burr, etc. Down the list until you come to Westbury, uh, which I hope to mention at the very end of the lecture. I'll leave you with some thoughts on, on the place name Westbury. Uh, and then Salisbury, which is a bit of a tricky one, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, it actually comes from um, Sorvio Dunum, which is the name of the Roman town uh, just next to Stratford, well, that's Stratford's Castle, which is just below Old Sarum. Um, because, of course, Salisbury was originally up on the hill at Old Sarum and only moved down to its present location uh, after the Norman Conquest. Um, and so Sorvio Dunum, the Sorvio bit, um, somehow, the, the old English speakers, uh, when they came and heard the name of this Roman town, they thought it sounded like a bit like an old English word meaning trick. So they associated it with the word trick. And so the place name sort of somehow morphed into Trickbury, but it actually comes from the name of the Roman town. Um, most of the place names in Bury um, that you might have come across relate to Iron Age hill forts, and there are many in this region. Um, well, 27 to be precise in Wiltshire. Um, here we are, a list of them. And uh, yes, Salisbury, Sarah Burr, and is number 22. Old Sarum is the Iron Age hill fort that gave its name to, to that particular Bury. Um, and then there's Battlesbury Camp. Um, by Warminster is a particularly good example. But you see, see how each of them is effectively uh, an enclosure of, of ditches, a well-defined um, enclosure, and that's something I want you to bear in mind. Um, and then um, Old English Berry can sometimes be associated with Roman forts. Um, so across the country, uh, Richborough and Burr Castle are both on the, both on the east coast of England, um, they're what, is, what, what became known as Saxon shore forts put up towards the end of the Roman period um, to protect against um, invasion from across the sea. Um, but also, um, Margaret Gelling, the great um, doyenne of English place name studies who died a few years ago, um, she basically said that, that Berry, uh, meaning Roman fort, um, was something not found in the south or particularly the southwest of England. Well, I, I, I include Berry Barton in, in, in Devon just to prove her wrong. 
<laughs> that is a Roman fort um, with a Berry Place name in Devon. But again, you see, their enclosures, their spaces enclosed and defined on the ground by, by walls or ditches. Um, and so we, we've had hill forts and we've had Roman forts, um, but this slide is to indicate um, that, it, that Old English Burr clearly didn't always mean a fort, a big fort. Um, this, is from, this is a map of Stanton St Bernard, and these are the Anglo-Saxon charter bounds um, dating from the end of the 9th century. Um, many of these charters were issued granting estates from the king to, um, to, uh, to thanes, to lords, uh, and they described the boundaries of the estates, and, and many of these estates correspond with modern parishes. And sure enough, in the Stanton St Bernard bounds, we have an Ealden Burr, the old Burr, uh, and then we luckily we have a charter from next door Alton Priors as well. And, and the same feature on the ground is called the Eorthbury, the Earthbury. And here is a wonderful Google Earth image of the feature in question. And it is actually tiny. Um, there's no sense of scale here. But it, it is actually an Iron Age enclosed farmstead. It's, it's a single Iron Age farm uh, roundhouse with an enclosure around it. And I can't believe that the Anglo-Saxons would have thought of that as a fort, a fortress of, of sorts. It, it's, it's an enclosure. It's an enclosure. The thing that it shares in common is that it has a, a circuit, an earthwork circuit. Um, and so, uh, so the name Earthbury, earthen enclosure, um, makes, makes perfect sense in that context. Um, so I've argued um, in publications um, in the last few years that rather than translating Old English Berry as Burr as Fort, uh, which many people do, we should um, translate it as, as, as enclosure, and particularly an enclosure that, uh, that surrounded a settlement. Um, so the Iron Age hill forts um, in, enclosed uh, many Iron Age hill forts within them. Uh, the Roman forts obviously had buildings within, within them. And in Anglo-Saxon settlements, um, the places that are called Berry are enclosed settlements, and that's the thing that I want to focus on, on tonight. Um, in particular, um, the, the classes of enclosed settlement in Anglo-Saxon England are uh, manors, um, what we might, well, royal or aristocratic estate centres. Um, so, yeah, they start off with the king, king, king's estate centres, and then as the, as the Anglo-Saxon period goes on, uh, the king grants out these estates to, to lesser um, lords, um, fanes, as they were called, and then they, they begin to build their own manors. Um, and then minsters. Um, the minster comes from the Latin word monasterium, the, the same origin as our word monastery. And, and a, min, a minster church is just the name given to an Anglo-Saxon church that had a small staff of clerics, of monks. There were a handful of monks living there. But um, they had large parishes um, that often corresponded with the, the, the estates that they were founded on. Um, so their parishes were much bigger than our parishes today. Um, so they, they were effectively mother churches serving a large area. So, so you should think of an Anglo-Saxon minster church as just um, a, a, an important church um, serving a large area um, with a small staff of, of monks um, at, at the heart. Um, then also towns, which I'm not going to talk about tonight, 
because um, they're, they're a, a late Saxon development. Towns re- didn't really exist um, right until the very end of the Anglo-Saxon period. And in fact, um, a, a burr is the name that historians give um, to the, the sort of fortified towns that were established by King Alfred the Great in the 9th century in response to the threat of Viking invasion. Um, and in fact, Bath, the city of Bath, was one of those burrs founded across um, southern England. Um, Cricklade and Wallingford are other good examples. And you can actually see the enclosures, the fortified enclosures, um, surviving in earthworks um, at Cricklade and Wallingford. Um, and in fact, our word borough, the word borough for a town... Uh, an enclosed town, um, comes from the word burr. Uh, it's the same word, in essence, and it developed into borough. But that's something that I'm going to leave aside for tonight. Um, so here, on the left, is an artist's impression of what um, an Anglo-Saxon, a late Anglo-Saxon manor might have looked like, and you can see the, the sort of fence surrounding it, the enclosed nature of the settlement. And then on the right is a map of Bampton in Oxfordshire, uh, which has been um, excavated by Professor John Blair of Oxford University, and uh, he found good evidence for the, the Minster enclosure, the enclosure that surrounded um, the Anglo-Saxon church. And I should just point out as well that, um, of course, enclosed churches are not just an Anglo-Saxon thing. It was common in the Celtic church in the early medieval period as well. So if you go to places like Iona or Lindisfarne that are effectively Celtic monasteries in origin... Um, those had uh, enclosures around them. Um, and the I- early Irish monasteries as well were enclosed, um, enclosed monasteries. Um, so in order to, to explore the origins of these enclosures um, within Wessex, um, it, it, we must um, start with the Middle Saxon period uh, between roughly AD 600 and 750, uh, and, and look at um, the estates that grew up at that time. Um, there was n- no such thing as, as private ownership of land as such. Um, all land belonged to the king um, pretty much at this period, um, and the king granted out some lands to bishops and monasteries as the churches were founded. Of course, the 7th century is the period r- the right, right of the, the sort of birth and, and expansion of Christianity in England um, it's, it's the time when the church is really getting off the ground and getting going um, in Anglo-Saxon England um, so m- monasteries and, and cathedrals and abbeys are being founded at this time um, so Wessex, uh, particularly Wiltshire and Dorset, um, Chalkland Wessex in particular, uh, was divided between these large estates uh, most belonging to the king Uh, And this is a model, uh, a a very simplistic model to show how these estates worked. Um, Some historians have referred to them as multiple estates. You might find that term used in the literature. Um, That's been hotly debated recently. Uh, It's a bit of a cop-out, but (laughs) I just use the term great great estate instead to try and avoid the the academic arguments um, that have raged over the the term multiple estate and exactly what that means. Um, Anyway, in essence, you have an estate centre, sometimes called, well, if it's a king's manor, it's sometimes called a a villa regalis in the literature, but you have a a manor, effectively, and you have a minster church at the heart of the estate, and then you have dependent settlements, sort of satellite settlements surrounding them. And um, the important thing to draw your attention to is the, the, the the type of place names that you get 
within these um, settlements. The names themselves hint at their dependence on the estate centre. So Walton, for example, is the, the farm of the slaves or Britons. The word wow can be translated as British person or slave. I think it's most often slave. Um, and so it, the slaves are people uh, in slavery on the estate, Middle Saxon estate. And Hardwick is the specialised farm sheep, is the farm specialised in sheep production. And then Berwick is a specialised Anglo-Saxon name referring to a far-flung place, a far-flung farm um, supplying grain to the estate centre. Um, and then, of course, you get the directional names, so Eastern and Sutton, um, they're, they're east and south, respectively, of the estate centre. Um, so by studying the names, uh, you can get a sense of, of where these estate centres were. And I'll just want to illustrate this with... Um, a few Wiltshire examples. So we'll start with, with Bradford-on-Avon, um, which I know well because I, I lived in Holt for many years <laughs> in my youth. Um, this is a good example um, because um, there is uh, a hundred, and I'll talk about hundreds in a minute, but there is a hundred of Bradford. Uh, and also there was a Minster Church, um, which is supposedly founded by um, St Oldhelm in the 8th century, um, although there's no firm evidence for that, but that's, that's, it is often included as one of St Oldhelm's 7th century foundations. And I should point out that the Saxon church in Bradford is not the Minster church. It's a much later chapel built in the 11th century, um, but I thought I'd put it up anyway, because it is something Saxon that is in Bradford on name. But the Minster church was probably on the site of the parish church, Holy Trinity. Um, but, but the point is that... Um, uh, many of the churches in the surrounding villages remained chapels belonging to Bradford Church right up until the 19th century. So Holt, Holt Parish Church only became a parish church um, in, in, in the 18, 1800s. It was just a dependent chapel on Bradford. And these signs of ecclesiastical dependence um, are a good, good suggestion that the church at Bradford was an Anglo-Saxon minster, one of these mother churches um, serving a large area. So if you look at the, the lines of ecclesiastical dependence, you can see roughly, you can begin to re reconstruct the parish of the Anglo-Saxon Minster Church. Um, so you can see the, sort of the extent of it. Um, but also the, the place names I wanted to point, point out. Uh, Westwood strikes you because it is the wood west of Bradford-on-Avon, so it's one of these directional names. Um, but also Bearfield and Barton Farm uh, Barton, again, is the specialised farm engaged in grain production um, on the estate. Um, bar is the word, same word as barley, effectively. Um, but also Limply Stoke. Um, the place name Stoke just means place. Um, there's no satisfactory translation of Old English stalk. Um, but in Wiltshire, it's clear that each Stoke, each place name called Stoke, is intimately related to one of these Middle Saxon estates. And was clearly, it was clearly a farm su supplying the Anglo-Saxon estate centre. Um, and Holt just means wood, another wood name. Um, but it's probably a wood with relation to, to Bradford as well. Um, in the south of the county, Broad Chalk is another example. Um, you have uh, Stoke, you have another Stoke, Stoke Farthing next door you see. So the Stoke belonging to Broadchalk is Stoke Farthing. Um, and then you also have uh, names 
just like Walton, Walton um, included the name of a, a class of peasant, a class of person on the estate, a dependent people, the, the slaves are dependent, uh, part of the cog of the estate. Um, so a, a bower chalk here, bower chalk is, is the chalk settlement of the Yeboers, and a Yeboer was a, t- a class of Anglo-Saxon peasant, again, sort of within this structure of, of, of the Anglo-Saxon estate. And again, uh, Knighton, which is up here, oh, I've got a pointer, haven't I? <laughs> Knighton there is the, the farm of the servants, the Kniest, Kniets, um, that there's a, a type of servant, again, um, related to the estate centre. Uh, and then uh, Berwick St John, it's one of these Berwicks, these far-flung specialised um, farms linked to the estate centre. So the Chalk Estate has a Berwick uh, further up the valley. So you can see how looking at the, the pattern of place names um, tells you, you, you can re- begin to reconstruct these Middle Saxon estates. And interestingly, there's a, there's a berry orchard at the heart of Broad Chalk, which I haven't yet investigated, but it's interesting that there is a berry place name there. Um, I mentioned hundreds. Um, a hundred uh, was, a, was an area, of, a, a unit of land smaller than a shire, but sort of larger than a parish. And um, it's called a hundred because it was originally a hundred hides of land. And what is a hide of land, I hear you cry? A hide is basically a family farm. Uh, of, uh, it's about 120 acres in our modern reckoning. Um, enough land to support an extended Anglo-Saxon family. So the idea was that each hundred farms... <coughs> Um, would, would, they would meet up on allotted days and representatives from these hundred farms would come together and they would meet at a meeting place, um, sometimes marked by uh, an earthen mound. Um, so some of the hundred names, like Rowbury, the bury is actually not a bury, it comes from another word altogether, meaning mound, but it's the rough mound, the rough grassy mound. So it's referring to one of these meeting places. But each of these hundreds here... Um, Anglo-Saxon in origin, would have sent representatives to a court, an open-air court, that would have met to discuss the running of that chunk of land. That's what a hundred is. Um, we don't know the exact um, date of origins of hundreds. They're first recorded in the, in the t- 10th century in a document called the Hundred Ordinance. Um, but it's clear, um, it's clear that they are much older in origin and at least as far back as the Middle Saxon period that we're talking about. Um, and the thing about hundreds in Wiltshire in particular is that many of them seem to correspond to these Anglo-Saxon great estates, um, royal estates or Episcopal estates. So you can see that there's one called Bradford Hundred, um, which more or less corresponds to the, 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 the chapels that, that, that were served by Bradford Parish Church up until the 19th century. It is more or less the same unit of land. Um, but if you look around, you can see a Chippenham had one. Khan was the centre of a hundred. Um, and these are, these are royal estate centres uh, as well, and there's very good ev- evidence. But the point I want to make is that if you look around, many of the place names that I showed you on the first slide, ending in Bury, had their own hundreds. So Ramsbury had its own hundred. Amesbury, Alderbury. Um, Dunworth is actually Tisbury 100, effectively. That's Tisbury's 100. But Hatesbury, you can see Westbury had its own 100. Um, and, and Malmesbury sat 
Malmesbury had actually had two hundreds. Malmesbury was the centre of both Chegler and Startley hundreds. Um, but you can see, um, so, so there are good reasons for thinking that Amesbury and Alderbury and Hatesbury had their own um, Anglo-Saxon estates uh, in the Middle Saxon period. That's the point I want to make. Um, and so sort of using a combination of, of the hundred evidence, the hundredal structure in Doomsday Book, and also piecing together um, ecclesiastical history and this pattern of dependence with chapels dependent on a mother church, uh, and piecing together other evidence, such as architectural evidence, evidence for Anglo-Saxon churches sort of in the flesh, um, you can piece, begin to reconstruct a map of the, the likely places that had minster churches and royal manors uh, in the Middle Saxon period. And this is the, the map for Wiltshire. And you can see that the berry places fe- feature heavily, Avebury, Ramsbury, Amesbury, Alderbury, Tisbury, Hatesbury. In fact, all of them that are on the list, uh, with the exception of Salisbury, which is a, an odd one out, um, because the, the, the hill fort at Old Sarum was only resettled uh, probably in the 9th or 10th century, so after this period. That's it. Um, but you can see all the other eight places um, had minsters and manor, manor church manors. Um, Malmesbury, in fact, um, had a monastery uh, from the 7th century, and it was set up sort of in competition with a monastery at Bath, um, because um, uh, Bath and Malmesbury, this corner of Wiltshire in the 7th century, Uh, and 8th century was right on the border zone between a conflict between the two Saxon kingdoms of Wessex and Mercia to the north and it was a sort of in a no man's land of of fighting and the two rival kingdoms uh, set up monasteries to try and outdo each other Um, so Bath was the the Mercian monastery and Malmesbury was the one that Wessex sort of set up in this border zone and there was continual sort of fighting over the two monasteries by by Wessex and Mercia at this time. Um, when in fact, the name Malmesbury, the first element, is actually is supposedly the name of an Irish monk who was called in by St. Oldhelm uh, to found the monastery in the 7th century. Uh, Tisbury, um, likewise, we have good historical evidence for a 7th century monastery um, at Tisbury. Um, it was granted some land along the Fontmill Brook in Dorset, uh, in the 670s, and um, so we know that by the 670s there was a monastic church at Tisbury, so there's very good historical evidence from there. Amesbury um, was also a 10th century nunnery, um, but before that um, we know that it was, it was royal land, uh, and various um, kings of Wessex actually uh, met there and also had land there that they left in their wills. Uh, Ramsbury um, was actually the, the centre of an Anglo- Anglo-Saxon bishopric from 909 AD. So that has a very uh, strong Anglo-Saxon ecclesiastical presence. Uh, and then Avebury also, um, there's good evidence, sculpt- sculptural evidence of Anglo-Saxon masonry um, from the church that's come to light there. Um, and then if you look at Doomsday, um, Doomsday Book in 1086 and look at the ownership of land... Um, you'll see that many of them uh, were owned by the king. Many of these berry place names were actually still royal estates in 1086 and, uh, and actually had churches mentioned. Um, Doomsday Book is very poor at recording churches, generally. So your average 
church, um, parish church that we think of today, even if it existed in 1086, it very it often escapes being mentioned in Doomsday Book. So to, to have a church mentioned in Doomsday Book, it's got to be one of some importance. That's the point. Um, so all the fact that these all have churches mentioned in Doomsday Book mean that they're important churches. Um, so all of these are royal estates. Uh, Malmesbury was a royal borough. Um, and then Ramsbury, um, by 1086, was owned by the Bishop of Salisbury as, a, as the inheritor of, the, of this bishop, bishopric of Ramsbury, which, is, which had ceased to operate by 1086. Um, and then Tisbury, which, as I mentioned, had its own monastery in the 7th century, and that had passed to Shaftesbury Abbey by 1086, but it was sort of still in monastic ownership. But um, you see, Westbury is, an, is a good example of, of an estate. Um, actually, the, the whole of the hundred of Westbury um, was served by one church um, with chapels up until the 19th century, just like Bradford-on-Avon. All the churches within Westbury 100 were actually chapels on, of the mother church, um, which is yeah, a sure sign of early ecclesiastical importance. Um, and then Ramsbury. So, the, so the, um, the next thing to look at is, can we, can we actually find the enclosures? Uh, we've established that these, the, these place names are called Bury because they had Minster and Manor enclosures, and can we actually find them on the ground? Uh, I think in, in Ramsbury we can, you see that there's this, there's this distinctive sort of D-shaped enclosure that includes the church, um, which I mentioned has Anglo-Saxon masonry and was the centre of this bishopric. Uh, and then next door, uh, there was an excavation in the early 1980s, and um, they found very good evidence for Anglo-Saxon metalworking and smithing there around about 800 AD. And there was continental pottery, um, there was uh, German... Uh, lava querns from the Rhineland in Germany, so it clearly had links to continental imports at this time. So it was a high, what you would call a high-status settlement. Um, so I just wonder whether the left, the sort of left hand of the compound of this enclosure, was the the manorial site, effectively, with all this metalworking and and posh imports, um, and then the church uh, was next door within this one enclosure. Um, obviously, we need in, um, excavation to prove that, but I think it's a good working theory for the time being. Um, Malmesbury, it's very easy to reconstruct the enclosure um, because the whole of Malmesbury actually sits within an Iron Age hill fort, which is this grey shaded area. But you can see that within the hill fort, the abbey, um, the monastery, had its own enclosure, and you can see how the road pattern respects this sort of kinking round the, the edge of the enclosure here before leaving. Um, so that's one enclosure. So the bury at Malmesbury is either the whole of the Iron Age hill fort or it's this enclosure that surrounded the abbey. Um, and then just sort of looking around the region in general, um, for the purposes of this talk, Gloucestershire is included in Wessex. I know that's historically wrong, but, <laughs> but it is for today. Um, but this is quite common uh, around the place. If you look at berries, um, you will see that you can actually see the enclosures preserved within the street pattern, um, even up today. So Almondsbury, um, you can see how the church and Court Farm, the, the medieval manorial site, both sit within this oval enclosure. And this sort of oval, oval shape is quite common, generally. Um, 
and King's Tainton in Devon, um, even a, a place that's not itself called Bury. But you can, you can see here the enclosure surround, um, surviving in the street plan and the church sitting within it. And sure enough, the meadow right in the middle is called Berry Meadow. Um, and I would argue that's certainly no coincidence. Um, the name Berry, the burr, has been preserved in the name of the meadow. And actually, um, minor names are also worth looking at uh, within uh, Wiltshire settlements, um, because Calm, which had its own Doomsday Hundred and was almost certainly a, a minster church and a royal estate centre. In fact, we know that Calm was a royal estate centre because uh, St Dunstan narrowly escaped um, death when he fell through the floorboards at a royal meeting at Carn in the 10th century. There's a record of <laughs> a building collapsing around him at Carn um, at a royal meeting, so we know that it was a royal estate centre. But there's a Kingsbury Street in Carn, so it's the, King, the King's enclosure, the King's manorial enclosure, Kingsbury. And at Wilton as well, uh, you have a Kingsbury Square, uh, which we'll come back to in a minute. Um, and uh, Chippenham, uh, again, uh, we know about Chippenham. Chippenham is famous because King Alfred the Great famously overwintered there in 878 before his uh, meeting with the Vikings and defeated the Vikings at Eddington. Uh, so Chippenham is mentioned in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle as a, as a royal estate centre. Um, and there's the, the, little, the street name Imbury, which actually comes from Old English Inanbury, which means around the burr, surrounding the burr. Um, so I would argue that it, it refers to its position just outside the, the bury, the enclosure around the, 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 the manor in the church. Uh, Wilton, just to look at it in some greater detail, you can see how, how the St Mary's Church sits within this, this clear enclosure of Kingsbury Square. And this is the, the later Saxon town, it's, it's one of these burrs that I mentioned, these, these fortified towns, just like Bath, set, set up um, um, in opposition to the Vikings. Um, but the earlier, the earlier core, the Middle Saxon core of Wilton, is within this enclosure, which is the, the Kingsbury. And I don't think it's any um, coincidence that Kingsbury is also famous as the, the fine spot of the Wilton Hanging Bowl, which is a particularly fine piece of Anglo-Saxon metalwork. Um, it's a bit earlier in date, it's sort of 5th, 6th century in date. Um, but, um, but, I mean, we have antiques today, so it's perfectly possible for someone to have held on to an old object and either deposited at the time or a few hundred years later. But I think, whatever, it, it, it points to the fact that there was a, a high status, if not royal, presence at Wilton, at Kingsbury, sort of from a very early date. Um, so that's the Middle Saxon period. Um, and then I just want to fast forward a bit in time um, to the later Saxon period, um, about sort of eight, 800 AD to 1100 AD. It's effectively to the Norman Conquest. Uh, and I mentioned that in the Middle Saxon period, um, all land was effectively in royal ownership um, or, or the hands of one or two powerful bishops or monasteries. And then in the late Saxon period, the king started granting out chunks of land to his followers, um, uh, his, his lords, his, his manorial lords, um, called thanes. And so that's the origins for these um, charters that we have um, that I showed you earlier. 
Um, but also, there's one law that I want to draw your attention to. It's called the promotion law, or yethunklo in Old English. Um, there's one law that goes like this. And if a churl, a churl is a free peasant, if a churl prospered that he possessed fully five hides of land, so that's, that's five big farms um, of his own, a church and a kitchen, a bell and a burgate, and I'll come back to that in a minute, a seat and a special office in the king's hall, then he was henceforth entitled to the rights of a thane. So it's basically how, how your peasants could, could climb, climb the greasy pole in Anglo-Saxon England and become a lord. It's how you, how you become a lord in Anglo-Saxon England. Um, so, yeah, so, so possession of one of these burgates bur was one of the things. Also the five hides of land... And you see them all over the place in place names such as Fifield. You find Fifields everywhere, and it just means five hides of land. So a place called Fifield is one of these units of land that the churl could have if he wants to become a thane, if he wants to become a lord. That's one of his estates. Um, on the subject of a burr gate, a gate into an enclosure... Um, I want to show you briefly Barton-upon-Humber um, <clears throat> in Lincolnshire, um, where it's been argued that the, the church tower, uh, the famous Anglo-Saxon church tower, um, may actually have not been built as a church tower. It might actually have been built as an impressive gateway into the manorial enclosure here, which you can see is preserved in the street plan. Um, so there's some a school of thought that has been argued that this was an, an impressive gate tower, just like a, a gatehouse to a castle. It's, it's a sort of formal entrance to the enclosure, and this is what is known as a burgate uh, in that document. And there's a street named Burgate, but we have to be a bit cautious because this is the north of England, and there's an old Norse word, gata, meaning street. So it could mean burgate, or it could just mean street leading up to the burr. But either way, it clearly references um, the, the bury, which is this enclosure here. Um, and then moving back to Wessex, um, we can see these type of enclosures and churches um, uh, coming up in the archaeological record. Um, so there's the Fackham Netherton in Hampshire is a particularly famous example. So here you have uh, the church. Um, just as in the, in the Middle Saxon period, kings... Um, founded minster churches next to their manors. So in the late Saxon period, um, lords founded what became our, 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 our own parish churches, the minor churches in the landscape. They founded them next to their manors, sort of emulating what the king had done a few hundred years earlier. That's the sort of model I want to get into your head. Um, so you can see how there's the clear enclosure around um, the, the, the lord's dwelling. And then at Trowbridge um, as well also, there's evidence where one of these enclosures um, next door to what became the parish church of St James um, in, in Trowbridge there. Um, and even looking round the place, even if there isn't a, a bury place name to guide you, um, sometimes you can recognise these late Saxon enclosures in the landscape just by looking at the, the street pattern. Um, so I've argued that Bremel, which is a a small village um, between Chippenham and Calm in North Wiltshire. If you look at the, the plan of the settlement, you can see how there's this clear enclosure that encompasses not only the church but also 
uh, Manor Farm, which is the site of the, the medieval manor there. Um, so you have manor and church next to each other within an enclosure. And also significantly, there's a spring within it, um, which may have been a, a sacred spring and used in religious rituals as well. Um, and I should say that the church at Bremel does have Anglo-Saxon, late Anglo-Saxon masonry within it um, as a clue. Um, but some of the place names with Berry um, might perhaps be explained this way. And the ones that weren't major royal estate centres in the Middle Saxon periods. So Yatesbury is one of these. We can't explain Yatesbury as a, as a major place. But it's certainly um, a candidate for where a local lord in the late Saxon period established a church and a manor. Um, and Professor Andrew Reynolds of, the Univer- of University College London has done some fieldwork at Yatesbury uh, and has revealed evidence for not one, but not two, but three enclosures uh, within Yatesbury. And you can see how the church sits within one of them. Uh, and there's this interesting one here that w- a little tiny piece of road respects the, the boundary of this enclosure. Um, who knows uh, which one of these enclosures gave the name to Yatesbury, but I, th- I think that one of them did. I mean, you can't po- prove it absolutely, but I think it's the best theory. Um, then Codford St Peter in the Wiley Valley is a particularly good example um, because there is, if you look on the Ordnance Survey map, um, there is actually a label, The Berry, um, stuck at this point um, next to the parish church. And you can see within the settlement pattern this clear enclosure around the church. Um, and it, it shows up even on um, old maps. So this is an estate map of around about 1800. And you can see the enclosure um, showing up. But you can see how this road coming in, it, it sort of hits the enclosure and diverts all the way around it um, so that it shows that it's a, a feature of some antiquity. And you can actually still today walk around the entire, um, entire circuit. This, this, is a, this is a public footpath that you can still walk around. Um, Codford it was clearly not a royal, an important royal estate, and it, it doesn't have its own hundred. It wasn't a candidate for minster status or royal ownership. Um, but what it does have going for it is the famous Codford St. Peter cross shaft, which is one of the most impressive pieces of Anglo-Saxon sculpture in the whole of Wessex. Um, It dates from around about 800. Um, What it shows, the iconography has been hotly debated, so I won't go into that. But, um, and also whether it's a cross shaft has also been debated. Um, It might not even be um, an ecclesiastical piece of masonry. It might even be been might even have been carved for um, display within a manor house rather than a church. Um, that's something we have to consider. It didn't necessarily always belong in the parish church. But I think that the fact that this piece of masonry of around about 800 is in the church here where there's an enclosure called the Berry, I think, I think it was um, an impressive um, manorial foundation of the late Saxon period, um, around about 800 Um, it's quite likely that there was an Anglo-Saxon manor house within the same enclosure um, and that the church was founded at around about the same time. Um, Then also straying a bit further to to Gloucestershire again, um, I can't can't resist showing you this slide because it's such such a graphic example of what a berry is on the ground. Um, Here you clearly have the parish church 
and here the site of the medieval manor, which actually had its own moat. You can just probably see there's a rectangular platform there with a sort of moat surrounding it. That's the, the medieval manor site, right next door to the church, as you would expect. But the hole within this, this oval enclosure, this oval in earthwork. And the place name Saintbury means Sewina's Boer. Um, and I, 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 I'm fairly certain, well, 99% certain, that the berry of the place name Saintbury is, is this enclosure, this oval enclosure. And that Sewina was the Anglo-Saxon thane who, who founded it and established it. Um, I've been in correspondence recently with Professor Blair at Oxford just in the last few weeks about Saintbury. He's very excited about it because he's working on a theory that there might have been Anglo-Saxon castles. There might have been such a thing as, as a castle before the Norman Conquest, which is heresy at the moment. Uh, <laughs> but it's not, I mean, I, I've talked about how you have these elaborate gatehouses, the Burr Gates, um, I mean, that, that's very similar to a castle gatehouse. So I think, I think it's not inconceivable that some of these manorial um, compounds looked like castles um, in the late Saxon period. And also the place named Sewina is a particularly late Saxon male personal name. So again, it, it lends support to the idea that Sewina was the, the person who founded it, probably sort of in the 10th, 11th century. And also the parish church here, has a, an 11th century sundial within it, which again is tantalising evidence. But it's, it's such a wonderful example of what a berry looked like. Um, then I know we're running out of time, um, but I want to briefly um, talk about burr tuns, because um, the, the place name, the burr, the element burr, um, got compounded with tun, which means um, farm or, in, or enclosure, again, um, the berry farm. So what is a burton? Again, this is something that John Blair in Oxford is working on at the moment, um, but he and I have, have slightly differing views. Um, he has the theory that a burton was um, effectively a lookout post um, for a bury. It was, he calls it the eyes and ears of, a, of an estate centre of a bury, and that the burton was the the sort of outpost, the, the first sign of trouble, looking out for trouble approaching. That's his theory. So he sort of goes for the militaristic um, option. Um, I don't know what to, quite what to make of them. Um, I think that they're they're they're. Uh, I think that they are dependent places related to places called Bury. I don't think that the Burtons themselves necessarily included one of these enclosures themselves. So we shouldn't necessarily be looking for these enclosures within places called Burton, um, but I think they're farms dependent on somewhere that the Anglo-Saxons recognised as a bury. So Bishop's Cannings, for example, is, uh, there's overwhelming historical evidence that it was an, ang an Anglo-Saxon minster church and estate centre from a very early date. Uh, and sure enough, Borton, Borton is right next door to Bishop's Cannings. Um, so it, you, the sense of dependence is sort of implicit. Also, the fact there's an east, there's eastern here, the East Farm, which is indeed east of both Bishop's Cannings and, Bor and Borton. Um, and then uh, Shrewton as well um, is a collection of eight, eight, eight separately named places, but one of them is, is Borton, uh, the, the, the Burton. Um, and I think there's good historical evidence for suggesting that um, Shrewton was the centre of one of these Middle Saxon estates. 
uh, not least the fact that uh, just a few miles south, the next village is Winterbourne Stoke. Um, here again is one of these Stoke places that I mentioned. And in fact, Winterbourne is the name of the whole valley. Um, in Doomsday, in Doomsday, all of this valley was called Winterbourne. So I think there was probably an Anglo-Saxon um, large great estate called Winterbourne, uh, which had its Stoke. And then the next village along is Berwick St James, um, which, which is the Berwick, the outlying grain farm for this estate. So all, all the place name evidence suggests that Shrewton was one of, one of these great estate centres, and it indeed had a Borton, just like Bishop's Cannings did. And then the pattern continues um, at Mere, uh, in, right in the southwest corner of the county. Uh, Mere is famous um, for, it, among Anglo-Saxon archaeologists for a particularly amazing grave find a few years ago. Um, there was a, a 7th century burial, female burial, which had some very high status jewellery associated with it. Uh, and she may even be been of the status of a princess of the, the, the royal house of Wessex. Um, so given the fact that in the 7th century there's a very high status, um, almost royal burial within Mir, I think we can think of Mir as one of these um, royal centres in the Middle Saxon period. And sure enough, Burton is right next door. For some reason they always seem to be due east. I, I don't know quite why they're all due, always due east, but it's the same with Warminster as well. If you go east from Warminster, uh, you come, come to Boreham, and you think, well, Boreham, what's that? But actually, if you look at the early spellings of the place named Boreham, it's actually Burton. It's actually a Burton in disguise. So Boreham is a Burton, and again, it's just next door to Warminster. Uh, and the fact that yeah, the Minster element in Warminster is the Minster Church. Um, so it, it tells you that it was an Anglo-Saxon Minster Church. So I just... I can't offer any firm conclusions on exactly what a Burton was, but I will say that they're clearly closely related to these uh, royal estate centres, these Middle Saxon royal estate centres, and there was, a, there was a close link. They were probably the tuns or farms dependent on, on the, the bury, on the estate centre. Um, and then, very finally, I said I'd leave you with some tantalising thoughts about Westbury, and how we've seen uh, that virtually all the other Berry place names are a personal name plus Berry. So Ambersbury for Amesbury and Maildubs Burr for Malmesbury. Um, but here, Westbury, you get the West Burr. Um, and I've noticed that you hardly ever get Eastburys. In fact, there's, only, there's, there's one in Berkshire that I can think of, but that's about it. Um, there's Asbury in Cheshire, I suppose, but there aren't many of them. Uh, and um, there aren't any Norburys or Sudburys in our part of the world either. But if you look at the distribution of, of Westburys, you can see there's a particularly significant cluster of them in our neck of the woods. Um, and the two in Gloucestershire are, are worthy of special note because, again, they have very strong historical evidence that they were the centres of royal estates, and they each had their own um, doomsday hundreds. Westbury-on-Severn was a big royal estate, uh, in Doomsday, with its own Minster Church um, serving a wide area, so it was clearly an important place. Uh, Westbury on Trim has very good. Um, well, we know that there was a, a, a Minster Church, a mon monastic foundation there in the seventh century or the eighth, early eighth century. Um, there's, there's specific historical evidence for that, um, and then Westbury Submendip as well. Um, but the point point. 
point is that they're not west of anything. They're not directional in, the, in that they relate to... The, they're not a subordinate place west of a more important place. They're important places in, in their own right. Um, so it suggests to me that the west, west is signifying something more, more significant than, than dependent on something else. Um, and I just wonder whether it's referring to the westward expansion of Wessex in the 7th century. The 7th century was a period when the Kingdom of Wessex effectively covered the chalk area of Wiltshire, but not um, the lowlands, the, 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 the Vale. Um, and in the 7th century, in the Anglo-Saxon chronicle, chronicle, you get mention of battles at places like Bradford-on-Avon, uh, where, where um, the Anglo-Saxons fought the Britons uh, and moved, expanded westwards, expanded the Kingdom of, of Wessex westwards. And I just wonder whether these places called Westbury were deliberate foundations of churches and manors as a sort of outpost to claim territory. And I sort of call, call on the Durham model, because having lived in Durham for ten years myself, um, it's a place where the Normans founded a huge great cathedral and a huge great castle right next to each other, plonking it in the north of England to claim the territory as theirs because the whole of the north of England was disputed in the 1080s, and there was a great rebellion there. Um, and it was, it was a, an area where the Normans really needed to stamp their authority. And I just wonder whether these Westbury's are the Anglo-Saxons doing the same thing in, in, in the 7th century. Uh, so, the, the, so our cluster of Westbury's here um, are evidence of the westward expansion of, of Anglo-Saxon England. That's something I want to leave you with. I mean, that's only suggestion, hypothetical, but um, I think it's worth exploring further. And uh, that's a a paper that I'm working on at the moment and I hope to publish in due course. But thank you very much for listening and I'm very happy to take questions. Um, yes, as in Silbury Hill. Um, that is, is tricky, um, but I should say that I mentioned um, Robury, which was the name of one of the hundreds of Wiltshire, and that it wasn't a bury. It actually comes from an old, a separate Old English word, Beorg, B-E-O-R-G, which means a mound, um, whether it's a natural mound or a, an earthen mound, a man-made mound. So Beorg, Old English Beorg, uh, which gives... Um, uh, what well, it gives our word barrow, um, our word barrow for, for that type of burial, um, it comes from Old English beorg, but also place names in barrow, such that there's lots of places called barrow in Worcestershire. Um, um, that comes from the, the term. So I think Silbury Hill comes from beorg and not burr. It's one of these, uh, these mounds, earthen mound, which of course perfectly describes um, Silbury. As for the first element, um, sill, the best we can do is Old English cell, meaning a hall, um, a, a timber hall, but I don't see how that... Well, it's possibly <laughs> one of the meeting places where the representatives from the hundreds... Um, yeah, uh, it's possible. I don't think there's any particular evidence for that. Um, I'm trying to think what, um, uh, what hundred it was in. It might have been within the hundred of Seclo. Um, which again refers to a, a, a low is another word for a, an earthen mound. 
<laughs> so I think there might have been a separate earth, earthen mound where they met. Um, but yes, in short, it's not a bury. It's a, it's a barrow, not a bury. Okay. Um, yeah. The uh, Westbury Wiltshire is just west of Bracken Castle and Eddington Priory. Can there be any relationship between them? Well, yes. Uh, it's often argued... Uh, yeah, th- these places called Bury are often... Uh, it's often argued that the Bury refers to a nearby hill fort. And uh, it's precisely that that I'm arguing, arguing against, because my argument is that Westbury fits into the pattern of, of these important Anglo-Saxon church and manor centres with the name Bury, um, so, so many of the other ones that I mentioned, I mean, Amesbury, for example, does have, I think there's Vespasian's hill fort. Or there is an Iron Age hill fort overlooking Amesbury as well. And, 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 many, and you'll see in print in many occasions where people just explain the name Amesbury as referring to the Iron Age hill fort. But, I mean, there are other places on that list. Um, Tisbury, for example, where there's no known, I don't know of an Iron Age hill fort there. Um, and... I think it's much more likely to refer to the enclosures within the settlement. And particularly at Westbury, where Bratton Castle and Eddington are, are not exactly overlooking Westbury itself, they're, they're somewhat removed from it. Um, I think it's much more likely to refer to something within the actual settlement of Westbury itself than to some hill fort up the valley. Okay, yeah. Yes, yes, I've um, yes, I touched on Burbage. Uh, just a bit of <laughs> publicity. There's a book called Sense of Place in Anglo-Saxon England, which came out in 2012, and there's a paper um, by me on the berries of Wiltshire uh, within it, and I touched on Burbage briefly. That, that's a tricky one because the bur is the first element. In all the other ones, it's something bury, whereas in Burbage, it's bur- bury something. And the, the bidge bit actually come, means a ridge of land. So it's, it's the ridge of land with a, with a bury. Um, uh, if you look at the, pat- the street pattern of Burbage, you'll see that the parish church sits within an enclosure. There are streets all, all the way around this enclosure, around the parish church. And I do wonder whether that is the bur being referred to. Uh, and, if, and in fact, one of the streets in the village was called Bury Street in the 13th century, I think, as well. Okay. Um, you yeah. said in passing that low also meant a mound. Yes. Does yeah. it also, as in burial, mean a burial mound? I mean, yes. It, low, yes, it can do. Yes, yes. Low um, comes from the old English word claw, which is H L A W. So the word law, I mean, yeah, law is often used in the north of England and Scotland for a hill, um, such as, well, Tow Law in County Durham, for example. Uh, and, and so this low and law is, is from this, this, this word. Um, and it can mean both earthen mound created, especially for burials, uh, um, but also a natural, a natural hill. Um, in the north of England particularly, it's, it's nine times out of ten a natural hill, Whereas in the south of England, it's, quite, it's um, often reserved for a man-made mound. Whether it's a, and sometimes these earthen mounds are created specifically for Anglo-Saxon hundred meeting places. Um, there's one 
uh, oh swan uh, a swin swan swan ah, I can't remember there's one in Wiltshire anyway that, that was definitely created specifically for the purpose of, of a hundred meeting place rather than just being a reused um, barrow with burials in Okay. You've talked mostly in terms of Anglo-Saxon names, but in fact it's not long after there were Celtic place names. Is it not likely that some of the names are in fact mixtures of, of Celtic and Anglo-Saxon? Um, you do, um, you, you certainly do get some Welsh or, or, well, or Britonic British, yeah, British names surviving in Wiltshire. Um, there was a language called Britonic, which is a sort of it's sort of what the people of, of Roman Romano, what the Romano Britons spoke, the Celtic language. But in, in the early medieval period, it, it evolved into a language called Britonic. And there are certain place names in Wiltshire that, uh, and, and Wessex more generally that come from this, this British language. Um, but um, yeah, the, these berries are not, are not, are not those. But, but you certainly do Britons get. Maybe. They may be Duns. Tun, no, no, Tun, tun is, is, is very clearly Old English, yeah, Tun. But there were Duns before that. Um, and Dun, Dun is Old English as well, that's, that's Old English. Um, it's also Celtic, isn't it? Well, I think the word, the, the Bree, Bree was a common British word for hill. So actually, I, I live near Breeden Hill in Worcestershire, and that means hill, hill, hill. <laughs> First in Celtic. Yeah, second in Old English and thirdly Middle English. So. Pardon, sorry. We also have Bray in Scotland, which means more or less a hill. Yes, exactly. Yes. So that that's the hill word that quite that survives in 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 English place names. Right. Any more questions? Well, you've all got all got plenty to think about when you drive about the country. Mm. <laughs> you can uh, impress your passengers and family very much um, if you can identify some of these place names. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much. Thank you.